0: sound Prince audio magazine a production of the kentucky council of the blind sound Prince is underwritten by the american printing house for the blind and the louisville downtown lions club i'm carla Rushival. i'm your host for this week's magazine welcome to sound Prince for september 12 2020. on the morning of september 11 2001 over 3,000 people lost their lives as terrorists used four airplanes to attack the United States of America. Two flew into the World Trade Center in New York. One hit the Pentagon in Washington. And one, United Flight 93, crashed in Pennsylvania. Let's begin this week's program by remembering these sad events as we listen to the last few minutes of audio between Flight 93. The Cleveland Tower and other planes in the area. Morning,
1: United 93, is in 350 up? United 93, check the 350. United 93, 350. Roger. United 93, that traffic to is one o'clock, twelve miles eastbound, 370. Negative contact. We're looking at United 93. Somebody call Cleveland. United 93, verify 350. United 93, verify your level, 350. United 93, verify your level is 350. United 93, Cleveland. United 93, Cleveland. United 93, if you at Cleveland Center right now, please. United 1523, did you hear your company? Uh, did you hear uh, some interference on the break here uh, a couple of minutes ago screaming? Yes, I did, 797, and uh, I, we couldn't tell what it was either. Okay. United 93, Cleveland, if you hear the Center right American uh, 1060, a uh, ditto on the uh, other uh, transmission. American 1060, you heard that also? Yes, sir, twice. Roger, we heard that also, thanks. I just wanted to confirm it wasn't some interference. 1056? that, Chad go. Oh, we were just answering your call. Uh, we did hear that uh, yelling, too. Okay, thanks. Yeah, we're just trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> Uh, calling Cleveland Center, you're unreadable. Say again slowly. did you hear the transmission for the said he had a bomb on board. Say again. Uh, was that United 93? Yeah, that transmission, you said it was unreasonable. It sounded like someone said they have a bomb on board. That's what we thought. We just uh, we, we, did, we didn't get it clear. Is that United 93 calling? Executive 956, that aircraft we believe was transmitting is 12 o'clock, one five miles, turn left heading 225. I'll get you away from him. Okay, he's climbing, so I want to keep everybody away from Okay, I think we got him in sight. Well, so the 1989 that traffic for you is at 11 o'clock and 15 miles southbound. 41 climbing. He looks like he's turning east by heading 360. Hi, uh, Captain. Now. I would like to uh, remain seated. have a roller board. I'm going to back to the airport. and do demand somebody to uh, remain quiet. Okay, it's United 93 calling. United 93, understand, for the a bomb on board. Go ahead. Executive 956, did you understand that transmission? Okay, affirmative, he said there was a bomb on board. And that, that was all you got out of it also? Okay, affirmative. 93, go ahead. that aircraft you can't get a hold of? Has he turned to the east now? He's just turned to the east also. United 93, you're here at Cleveland Center. Okay, American 10 and Executive 956, we just lost the target on that aircraft. Okay, 956, we had a visual on it, just stand by. Do you have a visual on him now? Uh, we did, but we lost him at the turn. So you can make a turn back to a 220 heading. Let me know if you can see him. Yeah, he's still there. We got him for 956. He's still there Northwest of you, about 25 miles? Stay up for 956. Executive 956, fighting 180. Okay, we're making a turn at 956. He appears to be heading right towards us. American 1060, do you see anybody Northwest of you? Can you see back that far there? Uh, we're looking now. United 93, Cleveland, do you still hear the center? United 93, do you still hear Cleveland? United 93, United 9 or 3, do you hear Cleveland? United 93, United 93, Cleveland. United 93, United 93, do you hear Cleveland Center? Do you see any uh, activity on your right side, smoke or anything like that? Negative, we're searching. Yeah, we do have a smoke puff now at about, uh, oh, probably 2 o'clock. It appears to be just a uh, dark cloud like a puff of black
0: smoke. And Flight 93 was gone. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a quarterly meeting this coming Friday, September 18, as part of its weekly roundabout. Bill Hollander, member of the Louisville Metro Council, representing the 9th District, which contains the American Printing House for the Blind, the Kentucky School for the Blind, LC Industries, and the Clifton, Crescent Hill, Clifton Heights, and other neighborhoods, will be our guest speaker. Bill is chair of the Metro Budget Committee and therefore plays a major role in Metro services. He is also very supportive of issues of interest to blind and visually impaired residents. The date is Friday, September 18. Time 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the Zoom line. Watch the KCB News email list for the link or dial 669-900-6833 and enter the code eight six two nine eight eight nine six nine seven two. Remember, other activities will also be part of this roundabout and all are welcome. Matt Selm, President of the KCB Next Generation Chapter and Chair of the KCB Scholarship Committee, stops by on page two with details about the 2020 KCB Scholarship and Tech Grant programs. He explains who is eligible to apply, how to get more information, and requirements and deadlines. Patty Cox, a member of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board of Directors and a past member of the KCB Board, has recently become the Interim President of the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Patty introduces us to CCLVI on page 3, reviewing the organization's activities and letting us know how we can find more information, tips, and ways to cope with vision loss. Cora McNabb is the Executive Director of the Kentucky Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. And there have been several big changes at the agency recently. We first aired this interview with Cora last week, but it contains so much good information that we're bringing it to you again this week on page four. Thanks for listening to this week's Sound Prints. Page two.
2: With me now on SoundPrints is Matt Salm, who is chair of the Kentucky Council of the Blind Scholarship Committee. And that committee... Is this year charged with two different activities, one related to the awarding of our first scholarship, and the second, the uh, the second annual uh, technology grant award. So, Matt, let's uh, just talk about each one of these and let people know how they can apply, and how and who is eligible, and uh, when the awards will be given. So. Um, How about we begin with the scholarship?
3: Well, Carla, thank you very much for having me here today. Um, Yes, for the scholarship, uh, any resident of Kentucky that is blind or visually impaired and attending a post-secondary educational institution or vocational uh, institution, like a technical college, or a trade school is eligible to apply for a one-time one thousand dollars scholarship. The uh, application is available through the Kentucky-ACB org website, and there is a link on the main page that says Grants and Scholarships, and then there's a sublink to the guidelines, as well as the application itself. Uh, the award. The deadline for applications is October the first, and at eleven fifty nine, and uh, we expect to notify the winner by October thirty first, and you know, present that uh, recipient at the Kentucky Council of the Blind Convention in uh, early November, the first weekend.
2: Now, Matt, what what do they need to do in order to apply? They need to fill out uh, an application form, but then we also need some other pieces of documentation as well.
3: Correct. They need... First, their typed application. They need a completed visual verification form by a competent professional, be that a physician or a rehab counselor, OM instructor, BI teacher, uh, that essentially says they are visually impaired. They need two letters of recommendation one of which needs to come from a uh, current instructor and they're also going to be required to have a uh, brief interview with the scholarship committee
2: okay and uh, is this open to full-time students part-time students what are some of those requirements
3: Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah, so the, you do have to be um, a full-time undergraduate student. If you're a current undergraduate, which is 12 hours, or you know an incoming freshman, uh, if you're a graduate student, that would be nine hours to be full-time. And you do have to have a minimum GPA of a 3.0.
2: Okay. And we're also interested on the application in some other things besides just what school are you attending or what school have you attended. We also want to know some other things. Tell us about the other kinds of background information that we want, want to. Yeah. Want so to. we're
3: looking for, you know, well-rounded individuals that, um, you know, have a variety of, you know, be it volunteer experiences or, you know, your, your work history, if that may be brief. Uh, you know, we kind of want to know what you would like to do with your life. You know, what's your, what your goal is and obtaining your education and what, uh, you know, types of involvement, you know, you've had, um, in the blinds community or with other, you know, church organizations or, volunteer groups that that sort of thing
2: okay all right and all of that information first of all is a really good review of the guidelines and requirements is on our website and then the application form is there for download so be sure and visit that and uh, read through that and, and share this information with others, because we really want to get the word out and um, and and encourage people to apply. It's open to entering freshmen as well as people who are already in college or in graduate school, and the technical colleges count as well. Right, Matt?
3: That is correct. They do, and uh, on the website you will you will see it. But certainly, if anyone has any issues, you know, for the scholarship please send an email to scholarship at kentucky-acb.org. And either myself or a member of the committee will respond and be happy to assist.
2: Okay. All right, now let's uh, jump over and look at the technology grant. Because it's in some ways it's similar, but uh, in that it's going to be awarded at our convention. But there's a number of differences between that program and the educational scholarship. So, introduce us to the grant program.
3: Yes. So, the technology grant we started last year and uh, those that applied last year, it's going to largely, largely look the same. There are some changes. Uh, Primarily, this program is designed to help our KCB members with purchasing uh, technology or software or subscription services by, you know, helping with uh, 50% of the cost of the item um, up to the amount that the board has allotted. So, you know, we all know that sometimes uh, assistive technology can be very cost prohibitive, but also uh, for, you know, many folks, it can be life changing or, you know, it can really improve the quality of someone's life, Um, you know, so be that a note taker all the way down to a Subscription to, you know, Bookshare, as an example, you know, uh, you know, whatever, you know, people feel that uh, they need some financial assistance with getting over the the hump, as it were. So, and um, okay. as I alluded, as I said earlier, you do have to be a KCB member as of March the 15th of this year to take advantage of that program. Um, There is also an interview with the committee, and uh, we do need, additionally, a visual verification form signed by a competent professional along with that as well. Um, You know, we also need a, a price quote of the item that you want to buy, be that a, you know, from a web page or if it's actually from a vendor, that sort of thing.
2: Now, the the uh, the grant, when it was awarded last year, uh, last year was, uh, the grant was $500 and the person uh, who, who received the award was able to get a Braille display and um, had, assistance from her church to help cover most of the cost of that because things like bell displays and things can be very, very expensive. Um, but the the money that she received from K C B helped her to to get to that goal of of being able to purchase that item. The same thing is true this year. This year the the, the maximum amount of the award is what, seven hundred and fifty dollars. Correct. And Um, and so it may or may not cover up to 50% of an item or, uh, that it, that purchasing 50% of whatever the item is the person needs or the software may not take that entire $750. So let's say that, um, a person needs a Bookshare subscription. Well, Bookshare subscription is 50 bucks. So that would be mean that the 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 grant could be for twenty five and help them to get that subscription for some people. That's a very difficult amount to make if they're living on a very limited income, but then that means that someone else can also be assisted uh, through that that money. It doesn't mean that okay, so we're only going to give one award and it's twenty five dollars It's up to the maximum amount of seven hundred and fifty is is am I interpreting that correctly
3: that is. Uh, one hundred percent correct. Yes, ma'am.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: All right. now and uh, you know I think this is a very uh, unique, unique thing that we're doing here in Kentucky. I'm not aware of too many of other states that that are doing something like this. So I think this is definitely, definitely a a, a bright spot in in what we're trying to offer to our members.
2: Yes. And uh, and the person that can apply, as you said, does need to be a KCB member, uh, needs to have been a member as of last March 15, 2020. And, um, and also in the case of both the scholarship and the tech grant, uh, they should plan to attend our convention, which this year is virtual. And therefore they can attend by telephone Uh, and and participate in the proceedings via Zoom. So that should make it possible to be within the reach of of many, many people.
3: Yes, it's going to eliminate a lot of uh, travel expense and a lot of some of the headache that comes with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So so Matt, tell us about deadlines and... What people need to do to apply?
3: Yes. So, for the technology grant, the deadline is also October the 1st at 11.59 PM Eastern. And you can also find those guidelines as well as the application on the Kentucky-ACB.org website. Again, under the grants and scholarships link, there's another link to the tech grant guidelines and application. And if anyone should have an issue, uh, they are welcome to email techgrant at Kentucky-acb.org. And again, either myself or one of the committee members will respond and we'll be happy to help them navigate that.
2: Okay, so that's Tech Grant T E C H G-R-A-N-T at Kentucky-A-C-B. Dot O-R-G, uh, if you have questions and, and need to email. Well, yes. this, this really looks like it's going to be an exciting year. Glad we have the scholarship for the first year. And the technology grant has, has grown this year. We have more dollars in there to, to help people. Uh, hopefully that will continue and that will become a trend. And we'll be able to, to help more and more people as the years go by.
3: Most definitely. Like I said, I think for, you know, both of these, both of these programs, the committee as well as the board, we've worked very hard to be uh, deliberate in putting this together and um, we really look forward to, you know, to, I don't want to say, well, yeah, we, we look forward to making a positive impact on people, you know, so
2: right right well thank you Matt we hope you receive a lot of applications and have a really tough time making choices and decisions and choosing the recipients that uh, this is this is a great effort and the committee has done a lot of great work to get this put together so thank you and thanks for being on Soundprints today
3: thank you very much Carla the pleasure is mine
2: page
0: 3 many of you know Patty Cox As a person who likes to talk to you about many mall items, especially during the convention. But Patty has another hat, and she's really passionate about this other hat that she wears, and that is uh, as the interim president of CCLVI. CCLVI is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, and as its name says, the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. It especially addresses the issues that relate to people who either are visually impaired or who are losing their vision and becoming visually impaired. So welcome to Sound Prince Patty. Thank you. Hello. And let's talk first a little bit about why CCLVI. Why is CCLVI important and helpful to people who are losing their vision?
4: There's not one visually impaired person that sees the same as another and We are here to support those with low vision, to help them get through everyday life, to give them ideas, to make themselves independent,
0: to share tips and ideas, and just to have a chance to talk to somebody else that may be experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing, can, correct? especially that can be helpful to a person who's just beginning to lose their vision or trying to adjust to living without that vision that they've had all their
4: lives. Yeah. Some people, they, they feel that if they've lost some vision, um, that their life is over, it's not, it's, it. it we can adapt, um, what we do to fit our vision loss so that we can uh, continue doing what we normally do.
0: I often have people that call me on the phone and they talk about uh, that they have a person, their their spouse or or their daughter or their sister or whom is their caretaker, their caregiver. And I'm thinking, well, just because you have a vision loss, do you need a caregiver? That, that sort of takes a person into the realm of less capable than they really probably could be. And sometimes they may truly need a caregiver, but, um, talked to a person just the other day and, you know, you don't need a caregiver just to pour a cup of coffee.
4: So, no, I think the, the one thing that one person has said to me that sticks out in my mind a couple of years ago, somebody says, how do I get dressed? And I said, well, you put your legs in your pants just as you did two days ago when you could see, um, you put that shirt over your head and put the arms in the holes. Well, how do I know if it's on right or not? I said, you'll know <laughs> by if it feels right. Right. There are a few blouses that I've seen that could be in question, but for the most part, you feel it. Yes. Um, and they said, well, how do I know what colors I'm wearing? Well, now that we can work on. There's devices. There's mm-hmm. ways to call people and. Find out without you having to have all these people come to your home to label everything you have, or sit with you all the time. Yeah, nobody because you can't be be left alone, right? Oh my goodness, I mean, would just be a difficult thing. You know, somebody doesn't need to sit with you so that when you get up and and you go in the kitchen to get a drink of water, that you know they don't have to walk with you and you know, right? Get the glass of water for you while you're standing there,
0: right. So let's talk about some of the activities that CCLVI
4: offers to the low vision community.
0: There are several.
4: Yes. On the second Monday of each month at eight o'clock, we have a game night and this month it is card sharks. We will have a new game show each month. Mm-hmm. And then, and on, this is all on the telephone. Yes. It's all mm-hmm. on zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the third Tuesday, we have Let's Talk Low Vision with Dr. Bill, and they have a subject um, that they usually talk about. Um, It could be from an ophthalmologist to just how to do one everyday thing that you need to do. Um, And then we have um, the fourth Monday of the month is at 8 p.m., and that is just an open chat some people work during the day and we do have a chat during the day but this is a way that people that do work can come on to the chat in the evening Um, and then every Friday at 11 a.m. we have a chat for about an hour sometimes it's lasted two hours but it's it's whatever we talk about Uh, an example is Friday was 9-11 so we talked about 9-11 and then we talked about um, diabetes and transplants it that's, can be just about any topic yeah
0: and it and I'm, i imagine that several topics could come up in that in that chat yes because it's it's just meeting and having a conversation with people correct
4: now there's two other um, ones that we promote and that's um, the Kentucky Council of citizens with low vision has their meetings the first and third Wednesday mm-hmm. and we also um, you know, encourage people to, called though at those times too, so that they can get support. Mm-hmm.
0: And then also, CCLVI to uh, sends to its members. Uh, they receive Vision Access. Yes, and that is
4: that is a going to be a bi monthly newsletter.
0: Okay, and in the past, it's come out three times a year, but but that that's changing a little bit, mm-hmm. and so it will be a bi monthly newsletter. Has some articles and information, uh, news,
4: calendar of events, for those who don't receive emails, and we're going to be having some new things happen. So stay in tune with us. How do people get in contact with
0: CCVI, Patty, and find out more about all of these things? The calls, uh, the the number to call, the the vision access, how they can get involved,
4: how do they reach you? They can contact us. By our 800 number, which is 844-460-0625. And that is a toll-free number? Yes, it is a Mm toll-free number. Okay. And they could also email us. That is cclvi at cclvi.org. And you can also go to our website. Um, It will give you a little more on Let's Talk Low Vision. Uh, has some of our events up there.
0: People can also find out more about CCLVI through the website.
4: Yes, and that is cclvi.org.
0: Okay. And one other thing we didn't mention is that CCLVI also offers three scholarships that are tied to the ACB National Convention each summer. And anyone who is attending school, low vision person who's attending college, is welcome to apply for that and watch for that uh, information toward the end of the year, the beginning of the calendar year. And it's a great opportunity for people not only to learn more about CCLVI, but to experience the American Council of the Blind National Convention as well. Correct. We have one other way that people can find out about most CCLVI activities, and that is those that are on the telephone many of the affiliates are now listing their calls and their regular events with the ACB community chat line. And community chats are uh, listed in a daily email that comes out from ACB. So for more information on that chat list and how you can subscribe to that, you can either visit acb.org or you can contact Cindy Hollis at the Minnesota office at 612-332-3242. And she'll be more than happy to get you signed up for the community chat information. And then uh, all of the call-in details will come to your inbox every day.
4: Correct. CCLBI is looking for people who would like to be members of the convention committee. Um, and the Fundraising Committee. All right. They can contact us um, through the website, through the email list. They can call the 800 number.
0: And let's give that one more time, 844-460-0625. Patty, uh, you're the interim president, and they can email you also if they send an email to patty.cox, patt cox at cclvi.org patty.cox at cclvi.org but if you email cclvi at cclvi.org that will also get to you so there's multiple ways that that you can be reached well um, cclvi is a very active organization and one that is doing a lot of good out here with so many people especially people from um, middle age up into the senior citizens group, uh, losing their vision. There's just so much help that people need, and the kinds of support that's being offered by CCLVI, just in the chat and the let's let's talk low vision with Dr. Bill. All those things are just doing an amazing amount of good. So we really appreciate you being on Soundprints and helping us spread the word. Thank you page four.
2: On the line with me this morning is Cora McNabb. Cora is the executive director of the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation in Kentucky. And as most of you know, under the combined agency that serves people who are blind and visually impaired, as well as people who have all other types of disabilities. And Cora is going to be telling us about some changes in who can be served in how services are being delivered during COVID-19, and we'll just be chatting about a number of different things. So we think you'll find this very informative. Welcome, Cora. We're glad to have you today. I'm glad to be here this morning. If you would like, I can go ahead and talk about the exciting news of, order of in order of selection, and that is that um, beginning October 1, we'll have all four categories open. Currently, we have three of the four categories open, and we just finished hosting two public hearings last week regarding order of selection, because we had to make some changes to the definitions, and we feel like that those changes are positive and are going to allow us to be able to serve more individuals, and at at this time, we have a very healthy um, budget. So, we're excited that we are able to serve all four categories. And if you'd like, Carla, I could review the categories this morning just to go over them. Yeah, that would be good. The category one is um, for most significant disability with limitations and three or more functional capacities. Category two is most significant disability with limitations in two functional capacities. And then category three is a significant disability with limitation in one functional capacity. And category four is non-significant disability. And then, of course, those functional capacities have to do with self-care, mobility, um, those, you know, Day-to-day life skills, um, orientation, so orientation and mobility would fall in there. So we're really excited about having, this is the first time in, well, since I have been um, with, you know, the voc rehab and I'm hitting my 15-year mark that we've had all four categories um, open. So we're really excited uh, about that. And, of course, you know, COVID back in March when it hit us, it really caught us all off guard and has definitely impacted our services. Our uh, overall numbers um, took a large dip in March, April, and May. However, we have begun to see a steady increase in numbers over the last um, month. So we are hoping that that means that things have kind of stabilized. Now we realize that certainly we are not going to have, be serving the, you know, typically the numbers that we serve, given that some individuals are making a personal decision to shelter at home. Some people are not comfortable Um, But we are beginning to see an increase in numbers. We are open for business. We are taking applications. We are taking referrals. And we are serving individuals. Uh, The staff are telecommuting um, and working from home for the most part. But we do have some staff coming in the offices at, at certain times. The governor's executive order uh, for in person services um, is still in place. However, we have done two memos that I want to talk about today. The first one is the essential services memo that we did for vendors of, of VOC Rehab. So, this could be um, an orientation mobility vendor, it could be a a physician's office or it could be a community rehab provider that's providing job placement services. And the memo um, outlines what are essential services. So certainly in any instance where there could be um, danger to an individual to their um, safety or something that could be harmful we certainly want to continue those services. So staff are continuing to authorize for medical appointments. They're continuing to authorize for uh, mental health. Um, If someone is in danger of losing their job and they need intervention on the job site, staff would certainly authorize for a vendor of those services to be provided. The second memo that I recently did, uh, that I think it was last week we distributed it to staff, is that um, a memo on an exception for um, staff to provide um, one-on-one services. And, of course, we had to um, get this approved through the, the cabinet and had to run it by the governor's office. But staff can request an exception to be considered by the division directors and or assistant directors for in-person services to be provided by an OVR staff if there is um, immediate danger present or circumstances that justifiably meet that. And there are three categories that the staff Um, look at and then they can write a justification for that. So, for example, um, an essential service could be defined as something that could, if it were not provided, could result in serious or irreparable harm to someone. Um, And then also if we have a category for essential non-urgent services that are defined as one that could result in serious or irreparable harm to an individual if it were not provided, then it could um, affect that individual, you know, in other ways. Um, so it's, it needs to be provided. So, you know, an example of that could be um, we have our rehabilitation technology specialist. And we might have someone that is a, a wheelchair user that cannot safely use their wheelchair or their vehicle. It could be an orientation and mobility instructor if, you know, it's justified that that individual um, needs that service in order to stay safe. And of course, as you can imagine, these are going to be exceptions that are granted on a case-by-case basis and looked at very um, closely because even though it might be a need of someone and something they really want, um, you know, that doesn't mean that it is essential to their safety or our well-being. But we do want to have in place the ability to make those exceptions um, for services. So the, those are the two um, memos that we have in, in place right right now in um, on the Blind services, caseloads, uh, counselors, the rehab counselors, um, there are around 809 individuals that are being served, which is a, a down, but it is in keeping with all of our numbers. Um, all of our numbers are down across the entire, entire state, but we are beginning to see Um, Since the 1st of July, we've received 25 new referrals, so there are people seeking uh, services. So, that just kind of gives you a a quick overview, and I know that was a lot of information, but I'll stop here and see if you have any questions. I do. How do these service changes also affect the independent living program? I know that's a different pot of money, and I know that oftentimes there are differences in how people can be served under that program, but uh, how, are those, how are those services being provided as well? Gay Panel, the program manager, is working closely with Helga Gilbert, the Division of Blind Services Director, and the, the um, Independent Living Counselors across the state. And they are providing services remotely as best that they can um, over the phone or if someone does have a platform like like Zoom or Microsoft Teams, they would use that to provide services. The greatest concern that we have for uh, independent living is that those services are delivered in an individual's home. So you have, of course, that is a very uh, you know, more vulnerable environment. And then also, especially for older blind, we're serving a very vulnerable population. Um, so that these memos apply to them, but I think the circumstances would have to definitely merit that uh, an exception would be granted for in-home services at this time. Mm-hmm. Now they are providing services remotely as as the best that they can. They're working on referral sources. Um, Also, our um, orientation and mobility instructors have developed some helpful hint sheets um, for staff, and so we're taking the time to do things that normally our schedule would not allow for them to have time to, to do. Um, The the orientation mobility instructors have come up with some safety tip sheets on orientation and mobility. But I'm glad you asked about them because we have had many conversations and a lot of uh, discussions about how to keep the set, you know, not only the staff safe, but the individuals that we serve um, and knowing that those are more residential-based Um, services. So, if an independent living uh, person, independent living client, consumer, uh, needs services like O&M or something like that, is that possible for them to obtain that at this time? If it, if it, if the staff write the justification and then um, the division director, along with the managers, would look at it and determine that it was considered urgent and essential. Then it could happen. Yes. Okay. All right. And I assume that their other services are are pretty much uh, on hold as far as the kinds of things being able to maybe provide some of the independent living aids and things like that, they, uh, I'm assuming they would have a hard time assessing what the person would need. How, how does that go forward? Are they just going on to a waiting list to be provided once things open up a little more? I think that Gay and the staff are dealing on with that on a case-by-case basis. And actually, Gay has looked into some of the states that are using Um, Kits remotely, Um, so they are having conversations about that, Um, so I don't know that I would could answer that, um, you know, it might be good for you to um, have an interview and talk with Gay about how individually um, they're doing that. I wouldn't want to say that they're not doing any of that because I think Mm -hmm. there's um, some uh, decisions like that being made. If it's possible. And they feel like, um, you know, they're not hindering the safety of an individual, and they're making the right recommendations and decisions. Right, right. Okay, so let's go back and talk about the categories a little bit, because as you indicated, this certainly is a really big deal. I mean, opening all four categories, I, I don't remember a time that all four categories were open, and... That goes back even prior to the fifteen years ago when you came. Um, so I, I'm a client, and and I to I'm a consumer, and I want to know what does that really mean for me. So um, can we can we maybe have a few examples? Talk about how that would affect a person who just needs a a, a device for work, or uh, they just need one service. Would that be what would fall into the Category 4? Yes. You know, I, I, I can't, I don't want to say that, Um. you know, absolutely, because as you know, the individual would need to contact the local office to make application. And, and right. meet with the counselor. But yes, it does open uh, services up to more individuals. Mm-hmm. So if if I'm a blind person and I need a uh, I, I, maybe I need some help just to, uh you know a, a screen reader on on the computer I'm using at work it, it needs to be updated or uh, just just a single thing uh, then that and and it's a quick thing it's not a long term uh, service then that is changed in in the categories and maybe also in the um, in, in the definition of those categories, where the services used to need to be provided on a longer-term basis and now they don't? Am I interpreting that? Expression? Yes, you are. And I, I would encourage everybody to um, that is in need of a service, that they would contact the office and make application, yes. So, Cora, you were telling us at the SCVR, used to be the SRC. Yes. Uh, about the, 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 you know, that Kentucky all of a sudden has more dollars than we've been used to seeing. We've all been so used to, you know, Kentucky is so short on funds and all of a sudden we are not for several reasons. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be and what impact the new fiscal year is going to have on some of those dollars? Well, when we combined the agencies, um, we combined, of course, the, the funding always came into the state um, in, you know, one, one, one uh, the feds would consider it one, uh, one pot of money. But then after right. it came into the state, of course, so um, the, all the money was really put into one pot. And then by combining the agency, there probably there were a lot of um, what we call backdoor operations that uh, we had. Uh, OFB had a staff person doing, OVR had a staff person doing. You know your your personnel, your um, state plan writing, your you know those kinds of things. And so we consolidated some of those um, more efficient and then that freed other people up to do um, other jobs and so then also we really tightened our budget and but we were in order collection for so long we had um, cost savings and then another thing that happened during COVID we did have 66 staff that were um, assigned to UI claims to help for about two and a half three months, and so we had salary savings there as well. So it's kind of a combination of, of things um, that have, have occurred, and it's just allowed for us through good, then there was a lot of good business sense that we used in looking at expenses that we were allowing, and so we have a very healthy um, budget at this time that is going to allow us to be able to provide services to a larger population. That's really good. And we also, of course, have the new fiscal year, which means new dollars will be coming in. And um, yes. that, that can yeah. only help the budget. Well, but won't some dollars go out because of the end of the fiscal year? No. we, we That was something our to mention, um, one of the, a a big factor in this was that we were awarded enough general funds to match the full grant award, and so this was the first year in a long time, the last two years, we have returned no money to the federal government. We've maintained it all. So that's good that we were able to um, fully match. So that has been a great positive. That is tremendous. You know, Cora, I remember the first time that I was aware that money was having to be turned back. We used to never have to return money, or at least we weren't aware we were returning money, I guess, on the SRC. And I remember going to an SRC meeting in 2008, and that was the first year, I guess, maybe it was 2009, but I think it was eight. And um, Chris Smith was the director then, and he said, oh, we had to return this amount of money, and I mean, <laughs> that was traumatic. I could not believe that we were re- returning money that it would then go to some other state to spend because Kentucky couldn't match, didn't have enough money to draw down our federal dollars and keep that money here in Kentucky. So, and, and that has just gotten bigger and bigger, more and more of a problem over the years. So this this is really great that, that we're able to keep this money, and hopefully next year be able to draw down all our money as well. Yes, we'll be watching that as it comes across, yes. It, um, it makes a difference when you're able to um, draw down that money. Right. I want to go back to one more thing quickly, and we touched on this before, but uh, I want to explain it a little more for the listener. Uh, we talked about the changes in the, the, I'll say, requirements or the the regulations that deal with how long that disability needs to, you you need to need that service. And, And that change that didn't just happen because we wanted it to happen. Am I not correct that that happened because RSA kind of took a different direction? They have a new director, and... Uh, he, it, I think, with his initiative, perhaps um, their requirements for the length of time that a service is needed has changed over the last year. In Kentucky's plan last year, it was that long-range service, and now, and now we're we're changing to only needing services for a shorter period of time. Is that a, is that a good way to sum that up? Yeah, there is a list in the federal regs of of things that you cannot use when determining eligibility, and one one of that is services. And in the prior year, and you're correct, RSA did approve it. So uh, the the person that um, reviewed it, but in our former definition, it referenced referenced the most significant disability category and distinguished it on the need for the service of long-term supports. And it was that use of long-term supports, they viewed that as a service. And so that was what they wanted us to do from our criteria. Mm-hmm. So that meant then that we were able to provide more services um, that perhaps didn't fall into that long-term category. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, well, it it sounds to me as if we're going to have a lot more flexibility in the services we can we can provide now and moving ahead into the next fiscal year and that can only mean good things for our clients. Now we just need to get over this hurdle of COVID and Um, That will make all of us most happy. But I do want to stress with individuals that we are open for business. So please, if you're in need of VR services, um, call your local office and make application. All right. Well, thank you, Cora. We appreciate you taking time to talk with us today on Soundprints. And we're looking forward to hearing more updates from OVR and more good news in the future. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
0: If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org.